0: I appreciate all of you being here and allowing me to uh, pull together a lot of unformed uh, ideas to share what's in my heart tonight. I think I'd like to title this evening's talk, Inclusion and Exclusion. And I chose this topic tonight uh, during the sitting and based on a few thoughts I'd had over the last week and some experiences that I've had and some people I've talked to. Uh, And I'll tell you how I got there. First, I, over this last weekend... I went to my 40th high school reunion in the heartland of America, Omaha, Nebraska, Omaha Central High School, graduating class 1971. Class had about 600 people in it, and it was for me to rejoin the community of people that I had been so close to, some many from early in my childhood was a a joyous, joyous event it was incredible to look into the eyes of old friends and have that uh, those funny moments of seeing the nature of our existence Uh, the I call it in my mind the Santa Claus moments where You see the life cycle, you know, we're born, we believe in Santa Claus, then we don't believe in Santa Claus, then we look like Santa Claus, then we are Santa Claus, or we dress like Santa Claus. I forgot, is that how, I forgot how it went. Anyway. Did I screw up the last two? You are Santa Claus, then you look like Santa Claus. Okay. Nevertheless, you can get the picture that I saw the the aging process. And in fact, over the course of the, the weekend, there were several big gatherings. And one of them, there was a video and slideshow about our class. And finally, a cavalcade of... Pictures of the 43 out of 600 who had died uh, from my graduating class. And many who I knew quite well. And it was so interesting to watch my heart lunge, that feeling of, oh! And that feel, that sense of loss. People I may not have thought about in a long time, but just being in, beginning to feel that connection again and a lot the reality of of sickness in many cases old age uh, aging I should say and and death and I know some died from in accidents but that was it was quite poignant in that way so it was joyous and it was sad and poignant all at the same time and something all of us face in our life the reality of of Change and loss, and the reality of aging, and uh, but the sense of community was very beautiful that I had, because I have to say that I, as a, um, as a white kid, I was under the uh, privileged shroud of thinking all was well, even though I prided myself at going to a an a, an urban high school that was about 35% African-American, very multicultural. But I lived in a kind of insular world, not really knowing that in spite of my pride and my sense of, in my own mind, of inclusion, there was a whole body of people who felt quite excluded. They They did not feel that there was a warm, fuzzy community there. And even... So community is such a beautiful thing, but we can often in our community, in our own sense of belonging, be oblivious to those who don't feel that. And so it's a continual reminder, it's a reminder for me and hopefully a reminder for you that we have to continually come out of the tangle of me thinking, of just our own shroud of Privilege or isolation or whatever it is that keeps us hiding away in a narrow in a narrow world, and begin to include others. Be sensitive. Be open to others who may not feel that. And I know that happens in this very group. Many of you feel a great sense of community and belonging here, and others feel, you know, unwelcomed, unseen. We we smile at some and this is a very innocent thing in, in some cases. Even in the teachings of the expanding the world of loving kindness and compassion, we we start by extending loving kindness to people who it's easy to extend loving kindness toward. Those who are who have helped us in our life, those who are near and dear, then other friends, loved ones, and then what we do intentionally is we include in our field of awareness those who, are, um, who we would be, feel indifferent toward, who we don't even notice, who are right in our midst, part of our community, but they, they're unseen. So it was always interesting, whenever I would do that practice intensively, finding that uh, the person who I was indifferent to. And the last time I did it, I was a, a sick, doing a six-week practice period, and I picked someone on the retreat who I initially didn't give the time of day to, but then that person became my object of loving kindness, and I fell madly in love with them. Because for whatever conditioned reason, I they were excluded from my field of awareness. And then once they were included, they became part of a wider circle of connection. Even though this was a multicultural High school. There was this was still in the days where there was an African American lunchroom. Not because it was institutional. It, it was it was more of that uh, de facto. It was each group chose that. But some did it very consciously. The ones who felt excluded, and the others did it obliviously. When they mentioned that fact at the high school reunion. Initially, I didn't remember it, and that was part of the shroud of my my own shroud of privilege, because I never had to think about being a person of color or or a, a minority. I I was in the majority, so I was oblivious. And this is so. If you are a person, if you're a white person in this culture, it's good that you that you. Remember that you're shrouded, whether you think so or not. You may have the biggest heart in the world, but you may not even know the extent of your privilege, the extent of your exclusion, until you, until you uh, consider what it's like for people who don't feel included. We expand our field of loving kindness, then to include those who we have a difficult time with. And it's amazing how we, can, how we can make a snap conclusion. We've had one experience or another experience with somebody, and, and due to a, the innocent way that we react with, with aversion to the unpleasant, that unpleasant, unfelt, and unexamined often spreads out, often widens out into a, into a, a case for the prosecution. In our minds, or a case of disconnect, a case of turning away from, and then there are these. There are people who we, at one point, may have been quite friendly toward, and and then all of a sudden we're we're um, we don't even notice them, or we we're not we're unkind to them. So with our ill will, with our indifference, with our shroud of of blindness, we have to continually remind ourselves that we don't exist ourselves alone apart from each other and a real community, a real sense of Sangha, worldwide Sangha, immediate Sangha, a real sense of Sangha is inclusive. It excludes no one because if it excludes anyone, it means that it is, uh, it is, there is a, uh, there is the presence of greed hatred or ignorance there's some delusion there coincidentally after this poignant experience of of being at my high school reunion just reflecting a lot on the on the beauty of community and the the uh, the obliviousness which we exclude from our community from our hearts from our minds I came home and, uh, and in a small little conversation with my daughter, I found out that she was experiencing on the playground uh, her friends uh, regularly pairing off, pairing off with each other, and telling her, and I know that this happens to other kids, but telling her that she uh, should go play with someone else. And this, I know this is, today in the schools, there is a lot of conversation about exclusion and inclusion. It's a big thing now in schools, social inclusion. It's a, there's usually a, a whole department in schools. But our nature, it just reminds us that our nature, because of our conditioning, is to become narrow, become fixated, become selectively affectionate Selectively open, in little ways. I don't want to make it too sound too esoteric, but our tendency is to narrow and to connect with the ones we we like and begin in either overt or not so overt ways, excluding those who don't fit our ideas of how we think people should be, our views and opinions. Our uh, they don't either look like us, act like us, whatever it is. And you can see the beginnings of this on, in the playground with my daughter. And very quickly I could see that she was starting to feel diminished by that, inclusion, that exclusion. And I'm sure there are many people in this room that have had wounds from that. Very severe trauma in some cases to, uh, to wounding. And... The problem is that when we have those wounds, in our innocence, we often don't know how to, how to, re, how to uh, stay connected to ourselves. We innocently abandon, in many cases, abandon ourselves and, and let ourselves be defined by whether we're included or excluded. And that further increases our sense of isolation. Can any of you relate to that? And so we began the process of reading to our daughter the book "Stand Up for Yourself" to not let anyone, not let anyone uh, dictate your um, your worth, to develop, to develop personal a kind of personal power, not a kind of aggression, not a harshness, but with all the love in your heart the understanding that, um, that no one can bail you out. You've got to bail yourself out. You've got to learn to work with it. You've got to learn to stay, stay in touch with yourself, be strong regardless of the conditions that present themselves in your life. And I can see that um, that's a hard one because it's what do we ordinarily do when we feel that unpleasant experience? We go into attack and blame. And either we attack and blame others or we attack and blame ourselves. To be empowered, though, to stay open-hearted, we don't attack, we don't blame ourselves or others. We make sure that we stay connected with our community within, that we stay whole within ourselves, that we reestablish that sense of of, um, inner well-being so that our eyes don't become even more shut to our connection with with everyone else. When I got the idea of, of speaking about this during the sitting, I didn't know I'd do the inclusion-exclusion thing. I, I knew I wanted to talk about my high school reunion, but I during the transition period, I pulled together all the the ways that um, some of the ways that we tend to exclude ourselves and reinforce that feeling of isolation and separation. Do any of you ever have the experience of, of feeling isolated or separated? Okay, so one of the ways that we exclude ourselves, lose contact with our community, lose contact with our sense of connection to life, each other, is we get too busy. We fill our time. We distract ourselves. We we become uh, compulsive in our doing, and ultimately define ourselves by build ourselves up by how busy we can keep. And I know I've read this many times on Tuesday night, but it's always a a good um, a good reminder the words of amy krauss rosenthal could somebody remind me how recently i read this it's called her passage entitled sweet nothing how have you been busy how's work busy how was your week good busy you name the question busy's the answer yes yes i know we're all terribly busy doing terribly important things but I think more often than not, busy is simply the most acceptable, knee-jerk response. Certainly there are more, po- more interesting, more original, more accurate ways to answer the question, How are you? I'm hungry for a burrito. I'm envious of my best friend. I'm frustrated by everything that's broken in my home. I'm itchy. Yet, busy stands alone. As the easiest way of summarizing all that you do and all that you are, I'm busy is the short way of saying, implying, my time is filled, my phone does not stop ringing, and you, therefore, should think well of me. Have people always been this busy? Did cavemen think they were busy too? This week is crazy. I've got about ten caves to draw on. Can I meet you by the fire next week? I have a hunch that there's a direct correlation between the advent of coffee bars and the increase of busyness. Look at us. We're pros now at hailing cabs, making copies, carpooling, performing surgery with a to-go cup in hand. We're skittering about like hyperactive gerbils, not not just on caffeine, but on caffeine's luscious byproduct, productivity. Ah, the joy of doing, accomplishing, crossing off. As kids, our stock answered almost every question, what did you do at school today? What's new? was nothing. In our country's history, there have been exactly seven kids who responded with a statement other than nothing. Then, somewhere on the way to adulthood, we each took a 180-degree turn. We cashed in our nothing for busy. I'm starting to think that, like youth, the word nothing is wasted on the young. Maybe we should try reintroducing it into our grown-up vernacular. Nothing. I say it a few times and I can feel myself becoming more quiet, decaffeinated, zenish. Nothing. Now I'm picturing emptiness, a white blanket, a couple of ducks gliding on a still pond. Nothing, nothing. How did we get so far away from it? So notice how in the moment of nothing, how in the moment of Coming out of that identity of busy and being here just together for this 45 minute sitting period and 40 minute hangout period. Notice how nothing, in a way, at least for me, when I start to touch that nothing, just kind of unwind a little bit, unbind that busy identity. I start to feel a little bit more connected. I start to feel a little bit more here, a little bit more immersed in, in life rather than cut off from it. A little bit more soft in my heart, a little bit more curious, a little bit more open, a little bit more inclusive. Inclusive of everything that's on my radar. Every, everything on my radar is widening now. I've come out of the tangle of me thinking, that roomy poem that I share almost every other week, why do we stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Come out of the tanger, a tangle of fear thinking, live in silence. Flow down and down and down in ever-widening rings of being. We can feel ourselves widen out. And maybe you even in your looking around here, you may notice somebody that you never noticed before. But how would you ever do that if you're in one of your compulsive maniacal buzzes? It's really hard to it's it's really hard to notice. Of course this is innocent. We're taught from day one to keep busy, to define ourselves by our productivity. But the invitation of our practice is to stop, come out of the tangle of fear of thinking, live in silence, flow down. Just I don't mean spend your whole life in silence. I mean, stop. Listen for a moment. There's silence pervading the, the loudest noise on this earth. There is silence. It is the substratum of everything. It's the sound of silence. It's the ekankar. It's the It's the sound current. It's emptiness. That includes everything. Easy to miss. But one of the ways that we stay in a very narrow, exclusive world, especially the exclusive world of, of our own internal drama, is we become easily preoccupied with uh, wanting to be special, wanting to be above, at least equal to, and definitely not below others. Or we want to make others at least equal to or below us. And this is a preoccupation. And so we're, a lot of our narrowing of our field of, of inclusiveness comes from uh, the, the innocent tendency to get caught in the measuring or comparing mind. And we tend to just spin out this, this world of of trying to Trying to be special and in that that way reinforcing the sense of existing separately and independently. Like the Kabir poem that I often share. He says, friend, please tell me what I can do about this world I hold to and keep spinning out. I gave up sewn clothes, I wore a robe, but I noticed one day that the cloth was well woven. So I bought some burlap, but I still throw it elegantly over my shoulder. I pulled back my sexual longings and now I discover I'm angry a lot. I gave up rage and now I notice I'm greedy all day. I worked hard at dissolving the greed and now I'm proud of myself. When the mind wants to break its link with the world, it still holds on to one thing, that, that sakaya ditti, that personality view that we tend to devote so many mind moments to. to. And unfortunately, that Sakaya Ditti, that self-view, is just a view. It truly describes someone who does not exist. I don't mean that you don't exist. I mean the virtual version of ourselves is just a, a very insulting approximation of reality. Never enough, always in a state of becoming, always in a state of, one, of some dissatisfaction or other. This version of you is um, is one of the great sources of exclusion, and one of the greatest sources of missing the the grandness of your own nature, which includes everyone here, everyone, everything, everywhere. So easy to miss that open secret that that you, in your basic nature, in your deepest nature, are so wide, you could never even put words to it. And interestingly enough, if you really attend to your individuality, take care of your heart, take care, stand up for yourself, really do the things that really it takes to, to live a life and to live a life well and to love well and to work well and all that, really deal with life. Not just think about it. Not just imagine yourself, but deal with it Your individuality, your autonomy becomes the great source of connection. That's what gives, that's what creates that opportunity to really feel a part of something, is when we really stand up for ourselves, we really show up. And we don't let anyone in our minds, we don't let our own, we don't let anyone externally in our minds, and we don't let anyone internally in our minds. Uh, define our worth or zap our power, our strength. We, we are empowered by our immediacy and our presence and the light that comes through our eyes and the tenderness that flows from our hearts. And there's not one person here that doesn't have that. And so that's what we need to look at in each other. We really need to see that everyone here has a good heart. I don't mean good versus bad. We all have what Trungpa Rinpoche called basic goodness. Not good versus bad, but just the fundamental okayness of our existence. But our virtual version of ourselves and others is so demonizing, demeaning, belittling, critical, that it just creates an imaginary world of self and other that is so distorted. And... We can begin right now, just seeing beyond all these ideas, and starting to put every, not put anybody out of our heart here in this room, not just out there. But of course, out there, my biggest challenge is putting the, keeping the politicians in my heart. You know, I have to stop calling them politicians. That's one thing as soon as i say the word politician i constrict when it, as soon as i say the word bank <laughs> oil <laughs> all these things can they can become the source of of compassion or they can become the source of ill will every single person i think of if i can i want to make I want to make every one of... Even if it starts with a judgment, a criticism, a frustration, I want it to be the cause of of, um, compassion within my heart. I want it it to be a trigger for me to see if I can see myself in that person. And I want to, if I'm able to, whenever I feel excluded unseen, unrecognized, judged, criticized, I want to use that as my compassion food as well. I want to let that be the cause of feeling compassion toward that person that has very that in that moment at least has a very narrow heart, is unable to feel inclusive, instead of making a case against that person that has excluded me or hasn't seen me for who I know myself to be. Every one of us has one experience both being the excluder or the excluded. And to reflect on that a little bit. Because it's all about, as as Sogyal Rinpoche says, the whole purpose of our practice is to awaken in us that sky-like inclusive awareness that is the nature of our consciousness. And when I say the, the nature of awareness, it's the nature of the heart is inclusive. It's not... It's not. Its innermost nature is not compartmentalized, and this is why our practice of the the four the four immeasurable qualities, the four Brahma viharas, the boundless states, is a. It's not a sentimental practice when we share loving kindness. It's meant to expand our goodwill. That we feel an equal an the capacity in our heart is to feel an equal. Sense of well wishing we may not have the same kind of bonding or attachment with someone that's outside of our family or friend circle but we can equally wish all beings uh, to be happy to be well to be free of suffering and the causes of suffering to have to hope that they have happiness in their lives and the causes of happiness increasing every day. We can all do that. And this is why we practice metta. This is why we practice karuna, compassion. Continually opening our hearts to the suffering that we see around us. Why we practice mudita, continually joining our hearts with the joy that others are experiencing so that we can share in joy rather than fall into envy and jealousy. That we can can open to the whole range of joys and sorrows so that we can find that that immeasurable quality of equanimity balance that can meet the joys and the sorrows without uh, losing our sense of inclusiveness not having to hide away in fear and exclusion that's why we practice so hopefully those of you are have who are practicing just Regularly, those who are practicing on the 100-day retreat, I hope that you're including the immeasurable qualities, the, that you're including metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, the loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity in your practice every day and that you're not putting yourself out of your heart and you're not putting anyone else out of your heart. So I would in- invite all of you to survey your heart and mind, starting in this room, is there anyone in this room that you have put out of your heart? if the, Is there anyone in your life that you've put out of your heart? Is there anyone in the larger sea of humanity or creatures that you've put out of your heart? Are there those that you are oblivious to? Try to bring them in. Are those who, who you consider difficult or enemies, can you bring those in? Can you bring them in? And... See if we can, over the course of our practice, knowing that we're all works in progress and we're all conditioned, but seeing if we can uh, fully, uh, fully uh, embody the capacity, the perfection of, of a Buddha, which is that boundless loving kindness and care. An inclusive heart. I think I've probably said enough are there any comments or questions before we call it an evening she oh Shana you do I a question about karma it's uh, it's not something the question is that do i believe in karma i guess before i ask answer a question like that i i'm wondering where your question comes from what drive what moves you to an, ask that question specifically real in your own life <laughs> Almost got evicted from your place this week. Had to pay a lot of money not to get evicted. Trying to trying to understand why. Yeah, I don't usually think of karma as you must have done something in a past life that brought you this... I don't. Those are. That's not something that's really knowable. That's all speculative in a way. You may have an intuition that, or you may have done some kind of regression and you saw that you were this or that. But, but mostly, the, the only place to verify karma, which is really karma, is the uh, means action. But it often refers to that every action has a result. So there's the, car, the action and the fruit of an action, that there's no action of body, speech, or mind that does not bear fruit in some way. I think the only way to verify that is to watch what happens in your life. Watch what happens when your, when your thoughts incline in a particular direction like negativity. You'll see, you're likely to see a fruit of that. What happens when your thoughts Frequently dwell upon love and kindness. You see if there's a fruit to that. See what happens when you practice uh, greed, selfishness. What happens when you practice generosity? And then study it. See for yourself whether there whether it starts to resonate with you as a um, as a as a viable law of reality. Uh, rather than have any kind of metaphysics, you just see how it works in your life. Please. Could I speak about Occupy Wall Street? Could you tell me more about what? Well, I, I, to me, Occupy Wall Street is uh, just personally, it's a um, it's about time that um, that I think a, a voice, a balancing voice, to the um, to the. There are a lot of people in our in our country, who feel like they've... millions upon millions upon millions feel as though the decks are stacked toward the privileged. And that, um, that, that everyone does not get an equal share. Not an equal share, but an equal shake. And that it is in our Constitution, it is embedded in the Constitution, that the whole purpose of government is to, to uh, tend to the welfare and the benefit of all, to serve the commons. And what it's turned out over there has been a trend that the, the momentum of our uh, policymaking has, has become more stacked toward the, the well-to-do and less toward the commons. And the, and the commons are ha- struggling more, uh, working harder, or not able to work at all, and so there's some kind of balancing that needs to be redressed, and that's the. I think it's just nature playing itself out, the natural balancing, and I just hope it um, that the voices. Uh, I really appreciate that it's it's really educational. It's not about. Uh, it isn't about warfare, class warfare, or physical warfare. It's really about. shining a light on the the great ways of inequality, great examples of exclusion. And so to me, it's completely in harmony with uh, what I'm talking about tonight. And I'm sure everybody has their opinions about that. No, Amy, you've got the last word, and then we've got to call it a night. You feel excluded in many ways. Wall Street. mainly non people of colour and occupy <laughs> Yes, who works it? At- Okay, we. I. I. This is. This could go on and on. Right, so <laughs> Linda works at a bank. We probably have many bankers here. So. Like, like this, on, on uh, movement, there is, also, there is a exclusion in progressive movements as well. So yeah, I don't see this as a progressive movement, though. I see this as including police, firefighters, nurses, teachers. It's it's everyone, and it includes bank workers as well. Yes, it, it, yes, you. Would, it, that's another conversation. But I appreciate you naming that. That even that movement excludes people. Yes, we have to talk about how it excludes. Thank you. So, I appreciate you hanging in there for a few minutes after 9 o'clock. I appreciate you listening. Uh, I like to, at the end of each week, uh, I like to uh, remind myself and remind you that we don't exist ourselves apart from everyone who's included and excluded, and that... uh, like to consider that if there's been any benefit, any fruit, any goodness, any blessings, any merit to our practice, that we share it willingly, freely, here and at all times with all beings. At least tonight, share the blessings of our practice with a deep wish from the bottom of our heart that all beings can find happiness and peace in their lives. And the causes of happiness and peace. That all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. That all beings can know that sacred happiness that is beyond conditions. Doesn't depend on whether things work out or not. That sacred happiness that is without sorrow. And the deep wish that all beings realize the boundless equanimity and serenity. Able to meet the the joys and sorrows with less reactivity and a deep wish that our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be free. Thank you. As usual, just a reminder of our our room rental, $150 per week. Any help with the room rental and the room rental? We call it room rental, Donna, or generosity. There's a basket there. The teaching is also offered on a generosity basis. There's teacher Donna. Feel free to offer. If you are pre- offering Donna, you, if and you'd like it to be tax deductible, you can. Write a check to the church, the St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church. You can always, uh, but cash is fine. Checks are fine. Teacher Donna, room rental Donna, in the basket over on the organ. Thank you. Please be mindful and open your hearts. Thank you. Thank you for listening.